Welcome back, ladies and gents. This is Smart Nonsense, where we talk about entrepreneurship, self-development, challenging norms. I'm Henry. That's Dylan. I don't know what episode we're on. I was um, just thinking the same thing. 14, no 15, 16. That means Are, it's been something like two weeks. That's crazy. And it's cool because I crave these now. I like, if, if it doesn't happen during the day, it wasn't happening for a few days this weekend, like I start to tweak out a little bit. And I think that's a good thing in the short run. <laughs> I think that's, yeah, that's with all good habits is you start getting these little like jitters like, oh, and I refuse to talk to you outside of this too. So it, it kind of works out. That's actually what I was worried about. Yeah, I'm longing. As we're going on a tangent. I If we were in the same place, I think we'd have to do your little uh, vocal rest where we don't talk at all until we get on the pod. Because of like muscle, like just doing the podcast, I've had uh, like horse voice no, by no, the no, end no. of the day I, I'm like, from talking this much i don't talk this much in a day not actual vocal i mean like we just don't talk to each other because we save right. it all for the pod right. so we just like do blinks and shit well that's what was happening talking. with the last few is we had spoken a lot we had recorded multiple episodes in a day and then we were like uh now what and we're back with more nonsense <laughs> and we're back today so we're, we're talking about yeah, yeah um we're going to, this will be part one of kind of our thoughts on the book, I Will Teach You to Be Rich by Ramit, give me his last name. Saty. Saty. Um, sorry. And uh, yeah, part one, we want to focus on like large concepts. And then tomorrow in next part, we will kind of dive into how we're implementing. And I just read the book. So I feel like I've got the concepts. You read it a long time ago and you are an implementation king. So, um, I think this could be really, really helpful. Yeah, this is... How'd you find this book? I don't know. I was thinking about this. Well, here's the thing. I want to say freshman year of college, because I thought I was going to work on Wall Street. I wanted to learn everything about money and investing and getting rich, etc. And so, I just read at least 10 personal finance books. A lot of them are actually mentioned in this book. But this was one of them and it just blew the others out of the water in terms of actionable content that that vibe with what I'm trying to do. And that's just make life easy. And were like, the others too like, were the others too like, you know, follow my investments? Like I person, like me, Warren Buffett, I have gotten 25% return. It, it sounds like it was too much for you. It's like too much work effort education it does it it rarely works yeah it was a lot of actual investors like if you're trying to run a hedge fund which is was my dream it was like the ben graham warren buffett peter lynch like all the most successful investors but it's it was a lot about how to value invest or how to pick the right stocks etc that was I, just too yeah. specific for everyone pretty much and i was gonna say i love at one point in the book there's an, actually, I think it kicks off a chapter on like why experts aren't like as good as they seem, right? And what's important, Ramit says, is the entire world, painting with a broad brush, is is competing against you in the stock market, right? Everyone's in on this. There are bound to be a few extreme outliers like Warren Buffett, like uh, I forget that that guy who who manages Yale's endowment, really successful Swenson. Swenson, you are not, and I am not, 
that outlier. Like, I don't want to spend time trying to become that person. There are things you can do to be just as well off or, you know, good enough off, right? He says 85% is enough. 85% is better than 0%. Just take something 85% of the way there. And that's the beauty of his automation. And he makes it so simple by putting it into, it was beautiful, his, um, his ladder rung of investing. It's like step one, 401k if you get a match. Once you've maxed out that match, head to your Roth IRA. Once you've maxed out your Roth IRA, head back to the 401k and then go to rung three. And it's just like, it's, it's, you can't fail. You can't. Yeah, I loved how simple and automatic everything is. So you just set up the system and then just let it go to work. Sure, you're probably not going to turn into Warren Buffett but you don't need to literally that's the reason why everyone remembers his name is because so few people are like him. And Warren and Buffett says, don't try and be like me. <laughs> right. Right. That's Warren Buffett. Cause he had that bet. I don't know if you saw, but I think it was a $1 million bet over 10 years for a top hedge fund investor versus him with just an SMP index fund and Warren won. And it's, it's yeah. like, it was a joke. Like, over a long period of time, sure, anyone can beat someone in like a couple of years, which will probably happen. But the sample size, we're not going for two years. We're going for 50, 50 plus years. So who's going to beat the market? Another beautiful thing on in, in terms of beating the market, it was like one of those testimonials. No, not a testimonial. He puts like in the green box in the book, uh, link the book in the show notes. He puts like a green box with a story or whatever. And this one was about, it was again about experts. And it was like something like if a hedge fund manager or analyst, whatever, misses the 10 best days of trading in a year, their, I believe their returns will be below market average. So now you're under 8%. If they miss the 30 best days, then the returns are going to be negative. It's like 10, 30 days out of the year. And you're way worse off than than putting your money into the market. And that just like blew my mind because we have friends doing that. And it's, he also says like, and I think you notice this too, it's like a huge middle finger for us to say to our friends in these investment circles, like basically your job is pointless, right? No, I mean, it depends. I fully, I don't really understand their job a hundred percent, but I think there's, there's a danger with the overconfidence bias of like, actually why, why I love Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, his business partner, is because they're just huge on realizing what you know and just cutting everything out. Like know what you know and what you don't know. Really quick, because I remember it, he calls it in the book, illusory superiority. This overconfidence that I'm better than the next person because that's just what humans do. Right, right. Like, 70% of people think they're better than average. But that's that's like what 90 we're doing. 90% of people say they're better drivers than the average, which is 50% of people. You know, it's like right, it should be 50%. I mean that that's what's happening with us. We think we're we have some secret sauce to podcasting and we're going to be able to be more successful. But I, I think there is there is some merit to it. So it depends. Like everyone's going to try and say why their system is better. But at the end of the day, well, so we were in a jam because I, so I hadn't yet read the book, but I was looking to open a Roth IRA, which I wish I did five years ago, but better if, you know, if not, then second best is today. Um, 
And I brought you, Automation King, you know, Ramit Sethi, into a group chat with uh, our friend who's an investment banker. And I said, okay, you two duke it out. What do I do in terms of where do I allocate my money in a, in a Roth IRA? And you said, target fund, target fund, target fund, automate, never look at it. And then we have our investment banker friend who's like, well, I picked these six awesome blue chip stocks that I think are going to be around for a long time. And I want to do you know more management than just a target fund. And it was kind of a mess. It was kind of a mess because I also had you both texting me independently. Like, <laughs> why would you ever do the other thing the other guy is saying? It was hilarious for me. Right. You just get two people in a room, rile them both up, and then you go running and see them duke it out. But no, I, I mean, I'm sure I think people can beat the market, especially short term. And I have no issue with that. I'm just someone who's super lazy. I say this in every single podcast, every email. I'm just trying to minimize the amount of tension because I don't care at all about managing money. That's the last thing I want to worry about. Huge pet peeve of mine is when people start talking about how they pick the mm. best stock and how it returned an extra 5%. Like I, that just bugs the fuck out of me. So that's one of my issues. But oh, actually interesting nugget from the book was it's like, Say from the last 10 years, this book was updated a couple years ago. So 2008 to 2018, if you had to pick the number one stock over that period, who would you mm. pick? And they say uh, at the time, Apple, Google. Google, yeah, Apple, Google, one of those. And he's like, sure, you would have taken $1,000 and turned it into 3000 But what if you invent, invested in dominoes? You would have 18000 So 18x return. Like no one, who the fuck would pick dominoes? You just wouldn't. So- I think it's it's a big crapshoot. I'd rather just play it safe because safe is massive in the long run. And you're still playing an aggressive portfolio safe game. You're not you're not you know buying 30-year bonds that are giving you half a percent. Like you're not playing it safe. You're playing we'll it. We'll get into Yeah. I, I want to get into the the details a little bit later, but in terms of broad brushes, this isn't completely about just how to invest it has a lot of like day-to-day -day personal finance stuff in addition to the investing because that's where yeah, you I mean, really grow rich is the investing side five six of the book is setting up all your systems and then where to point them to invest it's like credit card stuff how to get out of credit card debt what kind of bank accounts to open how you should be allocating savings which i don't do um it's also i have in a reg yeah we'll talk about this next but um, I have an irregular income, which makes things kind of interesting. So I got to figure that out. You probably do now. Um, so we'll talk about that. But I want to go back to the debating minutia because Ramit brings this up so many times. And he talks about victim culture and just basically like, and cynics, right? And what he comes to is like, like you said, like the, the debating of these minuscule things make you feel like you're doing something and then you end up doing nothing and you're losing out because you're not investing. It's like, and, and you said like, I don't care about money management and neither do I really. But when you read the book, you must. And today I do. So I need to set up all these things he's talking about because in three years, I'm not going to care. You care right well, now in three months, you won't set it up, automate. What I love and going right off of that is I cared about this a lot when I was 18 years old. And so I just set everything up when I was 18 and I haven't thought about it 
unless I'm talking to you guys, for more than 10 hours in the last four years. Because everything's just running on autopilot. Occasionally, I'll just change how the percentages break down based on my income. But it's like so little thought goes into this. I'm, and that's I'm why curious. Yeah. I'm curious to hear, this is where I'm at, again, a regular income. Let's talk about it later. But how, because you've been doing this for so long, how your system has changed and how easy it is to change as your income has changed, as your debts have changed, all those things. So I want to talk about that and how you go in and, and move things around and how you allocate. Um, yeah, I have a very complex situation. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm in a similar boat now, so I think it'll be productive. And plus, so everyone knows, again, we don't really know what we're talking about. We just read a couple books and then summarize it for you guys because, I don't know, it's been working well for me so far. That's what drove you crazy too was I brought you and a friend into this conversation and you had read 10 books from different points of view on uh, personal finance and you were going head to head. So, you felt like you had... 10 people's worth, 10 really prominent investors worth of information going against our friend who was really excited about the gains he's, which are really impressive. He's made, you know, impressive gains on the picks on his, on the stocks he's picked, but you were just trying to say like in the long run, you're not going to keep that up. If you do kudos, most people don't, but like you personally, me too, like, I just don't care. I just don't care. I've got oh, other things plus- to focus on. Right. It it detracts like you only I, I view your day as you have so much mental bandwidth and decisions that you can make every day. I want zero of those to be where is my money going? And so and if you're one of those people that's constantly updating your stocks app on your iPhone, <laughs> like, dude, I mean, maybe you're getting better returns, but I just that's not where I want it's to a lot. My and energy. it's a lot of emotion. Ramit talks about like, let's take this hot emotional thing, money, investment, ups and downs in the market, and let's make it into a cool problem, a math problem, not uh, cool as in temperature. Let's take the hot emotion and turn it into a cool response in in the form of mathematics. And I love mathematics. You Here's can't. What I, I, I love this aspect of the system. The way it works big overview is that you just have a bunch of little I, I use the analogy robots but like you just have everything getting automatically siphoned into whatever account you should have it go and what ends up happening because we have different accounts so you'll you like i'll have capital one for one account and then schwab for another i'll just forget about an account like a savings account and i'll look in and i'm like holy shit i have 11 grand in this account <laughs> that's awesome i completely forgot about that so i'm like holy it's just the best pleasant surprise you'll ever have that's why partly i love this so what savings account does that happen in hopefully it's your guilt free spending well that's guilt free spending is checking account you got to <sighs> reread the book but uh saving it's just in my savings account like this was for it's a uh, sub savings or something this was for student loan i had like oversaved for my student loan basically and so that and so now it's just bonus and then what he says is okay you have this windfall of money like you kind of did what ramit suggests is spend half of it like good for you if this irregular piece of income comes in and then invest the other half of it and forget about it would you end up doing with it or is this just kind of a uh i'm just kind of letting it sit there i'm not a very 
I don't know. I'm kind of curious your take uh, on the conscious spending, but yeah, he has I, I'm an great, interesting case. Me too, because he has this great graph. I could find the page number. Uh, I won't right now. It'll take me too long. It's cheapskates and conscious spending. I remember. And it's funny because about half the things I do are conscious spending heavily, but then there's also like half the things I do that are really cheapskatey. And so... I, <laughs> I never get that stuff like th- these little hacks I mean maybe it just gets people going like my mom's coupon carol she'll just like absolutely every day she comes well you in said that's she's historical like, she's got historical reasons like like just lifestyle. growing up that way yeah and you said you know things like being on food stamps like that's wired right. into her brain right but even you who like for example you know in one of the podcasts uh She's with Naval. He's like, I have my opportunity cost is like $500 an hour. So if I'm standing in line to return a $100 pair of shoes and it looks like it's going to take whatever, more than 30 minutes to return, I'll just give it to someone in line. <laughs> like that, yeah. that sort of mentality. I'm not that crazy, but when I see you like trying to fight for these little deals here and there, I'm just like, dude, that's when just we not travel to, I'm negotiating with people over i'm telling you 50 cents a dollar 50 a lot of it's really kind of inappropriate but also like uh, there's some merit there because also ramit talks about it like this whole like united states of america notion that things are set in stone and you can't negotiate for services and like really everything i do is negotiable you know and i love practicing it but yeah, I take it way too far a lot. I think there was, I want to say NPR had a podcast. You about aren't listening to NPR. Well, NPR like had some, uh, was it like Freakonomics or something? I forget. One of the podcasts, I'll, I'll look for it later. It talked about the history of the price tag in America. And before like 18... I want to say 70 or something like that. There weren't price tags. They just didn't exist in America or not broadly speaking. Everyone would just go up and be like, hey, oh, how much for this uh, toothpaste? And be like, That oh, would how much be you got? a time to be alive for me. Just barter <laughs> right. culture. Right. Belky would love that. But then people just got insane. Once we started having these big franchises and you had to standardize everything, then Macy's came in. I believe they were the first to set a price tag for what it was. And everyone was like, I Fuck, I can't Fucking negotiate. Macy's. <laughs> then Belky starts losing all this money because he's a good negotiator. And it, it was just for ease of of running your business. So whatever. I, I forgot why I got so excited Conscious about that. Conscious spending? But yeah. We'll talk yeah, about so that next. We'll talk about that next. I think uh, we're getting we're getting too much in the details. You want to like yeah. overview um, how it's laid out? A couple of things I think he does really well in the book. Um, first of all, I love his rhetoric a lot of the time. Sometimes I'm like, okay, take a step back. You you are writing a book. like, But I love how informal the discussion is. You don't see that in a lot of finance books. I thought he did an excellent job explaining the difference between 401k and something like a Roth IRA at numerous times in the book. I didn't really understand completely. Um that like Roth IRA is great. Your money grows there tax-free. You're not taxed on the gains, uh, but you're 
your money goes in post-tax. The beauty of a 401k, and it grows and grows and grows. The beauty of a 401k is your tax on the back end, but you get to put in more. You get a kickstart basically today. You get to put in more. It's not taxed. And I just thought that was really simple. And he did it maybe five or six times. And at one point, he even broke out examples. And what he found was like your 401k and your Roth IRA taking whatever uh, uh, tax brackets, they end up being pretty close to one another in the long run. I just thought that was interesting. My my understanding is it depends where your tax bracket is now versus when you take the money out when you retire. So right now, you're probably making less than you will when you're 60 something. So technically, a Roth IRA would be better because you pay lower taxes on it now and then get the to just take it out tax-free later. But if you have an employer match sort of scenario where they're just giving you free money up to 5% or whatever it is, take the free money. Like do that first, max that out, then try and max out the Roth, which you get 5,500 a year, something like that, um, as long as you're below like 120,000. I kind of want to go through the ladder really quick. Um, God knows where I'm going to find it. As you look for it, I'll say off of Henry's point with the way Ramit writes, he's one of the few writers that I just love because he's trained in copywriting and he writes like That's what it is. That's what it is. He's a brilliant copywriter and sometimes that irks me. Yeah. So, it depends. I mean, he's one of the few email lists that I follow and will actively open emails. So, I I love that. But it's not going to be a normal boring investing book. Like this is, if there's one investing book to ever read in personal finance, it's this. Just really quickly, this is something we should discuss more next. But in terms of his copywriting, it's something that drove me crazy is um, his use of testimonials throughout the book. While like so many of them are great, I thought when it was convenient for his plot, he would do something like put the name and age as redacted. And when he wanted it to be something emotional or something about his program that people enjoyed, then he gives you their name and their age. And that to me is like, I don't want to say manipulative, it's smart, but that that kind of irks me. You probably don't know what I'm talking about. It's very no. Very I, I do. I think because I I bought the original version and this is whatever version two, like the updated one. I don't think he had all those testimonials or not nearly as many. I just skimmed through them. I, I I'd like yeah. Skip I, over I read most every them. every few. Yeah, that's a good point. They are probably from the first edition because it's people talking about the program now. Um, okay, I found I found the ladders of personal finance. In the new book, it's page 104. This is so important. So I just want to briefly run through it because it's it's the crux of everything he's saying. Um, and the use of a ladder as a metaphor for what you should be doing based on the rung you're on is just so simple. You can't ignore it. So rung one is if your employer offers a 401k match, invest and take full advantage of it and contribute just enough to get 100% of the match. Like you said, the match is free money. So once you've matched that, great, move on. Again, we'll talk about this. Like I don't have a 401k, I'm self-employed. I got to figure out solo 401k things, but I can't. Um, Number two is pay off your credit card and any other debt. He has great points on like renegotiating APRs, balancing transfers if you have to, balance transfers if you have to. Um, Then if you've got that stuff paid off, Rung three is open up a Roth IRA. If you can max that out, I think it's $6,000 this year. Um, 
If you do that, great. And you have money left over, you're on rung four, go back to your 401k and contribute as much as you possibly can. Try and max that out. Rung five, this is really interesting. So if you can and you've maxed out your 401k beyond the match, then you move into HSA territory, which isn't something I can do, but it's something my parents have. And it's new for them in the last year and they don't quite know how it works. We can talk about this next, but it's fascinating. And I sent this to them because I hope that they're using it to its full advantage. Um, so if you're fortunate to have an HSA and you use that and you're healthy mostly, which I'm not, <laughs> um, great. Move on to rung six. If you still have money left to invest, first of all, kudos. And um, then he just says, open a non-retirement taxable investment account. And that's just like, you know, your basic account. It's, br- I'm sorry. It's just brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah, I think... Again, the part of the issue is just overcomplication in the normal world. So this is just, here's the ladder, figure out your rung and just whatever, start there and then go climbing from there to uh, optimize. But yeah, oh, here's think, a, sorry, go yeah. ahead. No, go no, ahead. no, because I'm going to change the topic. Change the topic. I don't care. Oh, okay. It's just one of those nuggets. Um, and I quote, he said, now that I've set up my investing accounts and automated them, the amount I earn from one year of investing is worth more than 500 years of interest in a savings account. And I have really quick this beautiful anecdote my, from my grandfather. Um, he, you know, very hard worker, worked his whole life, worked for the city, great pension. His money is sitting in, I think, a savings account. It's on the order of several hundred thousand dollars. And my dad has told him like so many times, like put it in a fund, like do something with it. And he's like, no, if I make more money on that money, I will be taxed and I don't want to be taxed on that money. And it's brilliant because even just since I've put my money in a fund like a week or two ago, I know it's super short term, but I've had 4% return on, on my Roth IRA. And my goodness, my grandpa's money is just sitting doing practically nothing um, but yeah, you can make 500 years of interest, a single year of investing. It's just the, the problem. That's just like a, a lack of the basic knowledge. That is the difference in literally millions of dollars. <laughs> if you had that $200,000 and invested that, I mean, but you're what, averaging. What can you do? He made the money. It's his hard earned money. Um, and there's no convincing him otherwise that his 1% return on, you know, half a million dollars, it's just not doing it, Papa. It's not doing it. I mean, yeah, it sucks when the logic just isn't there because he's already paid taxes on it. And exactly. Like, he'll, he just pays taxes on the earnings that he gets. Exactly. Which is free what? money at this point <laughs> in his life. It's free money. Luckily, you're listening to this now and hopefully you realize that that can be silly and you want to change or you just want to optimize. So that's, that's why we're here. The lazy optimizers. Um, Ducky, is there anything in terms of broad strokes that we should cover before we get into part two um, in depth? I want to say one thing because it came from Naval and it was confirmed here too. Banks have figured out how to pillage everything we do, our entire society. They've, they've, uh, privatized their gains their profits in terms of you know 
fees and, and all the money they collect, and they've socialized their losses in terms of bailouts. And Ramit's hate for banks, especially Bank of America, which I'm a member of and I need to get away from, made me so angry. Uh, so for that reason alone, I think this book is worth reading just to figure out what are the best banks. They A, a bank, he even says a restaurant, like it should exist to treat you well as a customer. And if they're doing sleazy things and, and pulling fast ones on you, run for the hills. That's his bit on banks. I think a lot of people approach it as, you know, it just is what it is. I'm just going to forget about it. It's just too much. I don't want to take it in. And I have the same mentality. Like I, I just want to forget about it and I have forgotten about it. But I did that little bit of work in the beginning that lets me forget about it and still get insane results over time. And by the way, I think the reason people don't do more is because you say you did a little bit of work in the beginning, but like, this is what it looks like, right? And I'm holding up my book and it's a to-do list I wrote at the end of the book with all the stuff, all the like golden rules of this book. Quite honestly, like it's not a little bit of work to set up. But like you said, the amount of time, it could be, it could be, I think I'm behind, but the amount of time you saved, it's, it's a no brainer. It took me at most, like certain things take a little bit more time just based on like waiting for people, but it's like three days to a week. No more than that. You could even do it in less. I think I did it in less time, but it, whatever, three days a week. And then the gains are for 50 plus years. Like <laughs> it's why would you not do it so that's what we'll we'll dive into the whole credit cards and then savings account checking account retirement accounts all of that in part two which is coming up belky i'm stoked for that i can't wait to hear your credit card i'm spiel. stoked for that i need i need a lot of help <laughs> all right all right we'll see you in part two and we're signing off for now with the signature drums <laughs> see ya oh uh, I edit these anyway, so I can just stop recording. I like when you leave this in.